Three Dog Thursday on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network of Shows is presented by WinBet. Get started today and you'll get a risk-free bet up to $500. Terms and conditions apply. Get the details at wynnbet.com and download the app today. We're also brought to you in part by Coors Light. When you're sweating out your bets, remember to take some time to chill and grab the perfect cold refreshment, Coors Light. We're also brought to you in part by PropSwap, America's number one app to buy and sell sports bets. Use the promo code SGP on your first deposit and receive up to $500 in bonus cash. That's PropSwap.com, promo code SGP. The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, T.J. Reeves. Ring the bell and flip the calendar. It is the month of June, and it's great to be with you. Dare we say that it is not only summer, but it is fighting summer throughout the summer in the sweet science, and we've got lots of boxing to talk about here on the program Wherever you found us, however you found us, thank you for doing so on the Big Fight Weekend podcast, whether that's a social media link off the BigFightWeekend.com website. Maybe it was through our friends at Sports Gambling Podcast, their website, SportsGamblingPodcast.com, their network fleet of shows through the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. However you found this show, thank you. Subscribe away. Again, many, many, many of you subscribing, and we thank you for doing that. Keep doing so. Keep spreading the word. More people will find us if you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast, etc. Podcast comes automatically to you when you subscribe, usually out on Friday mornings to preview the weekend. Sometimes we have special recap editions coming, and if you're subscribed, then you don't have to worry about looking for it or a social media link. It'll come automatically ding on the device if you hit the subscribe button, so please do that for us. I am merely the somewhat capable host. I have got special guests uh, with me. A little bit later on in the podcast, Steve Farhood, the International Boxing Hall of Fame judge and former uh, boxing analyst and personality, former editor of Ring Magazine and KO Magazine, and he's been part of Showtime Boxing as an analyst and their unofficial judge on Showtime Boxing. Steve Farhood to talk Floyd Mayweather, Jake Paul, the Sunday night, a rare Sunday night boxing pay-per-view, an exhibition pay-per-view. Steve Farhood will have thoughts on that uh, as Floyd Mayweather steps back into the ring at 44 years old for the first time in four years, fighting a YouTuber who's got one fight under his belt, who is significantly bigger and heavier in Logan Paul. So we'll talk with Steve Farhood about that. And we will also talk with him about the great documentary that we're anticipating, the debut of the first of four episodes of The Kings, Reliving Sugar Ray Leonard, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, Thomas Hitman Hearns, and the Hands of Stone, Roberto Duran, how all four guys were the legends of, of the lightweight, the welterweight, the middleweight divisions of the late 70s, the early 80s, and they all fought each other. Steve Farhood is part of that documentary from Showtime Sports. The debut episode this week, the first of four one-hour episodes in the docuseries. Steve will talk about that as well. So not only do I have Steve Farhood, though, let's bring him in right now. Post-haste, forthwith, right away, senior writer, BigFightWeekend.com, Marquise Johns, here to break it down on all the subjects. Week sauce, good to have you. Happy June. Lots of boxing coming. Great to have you back aboard here on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. 
Absolutely, TJ. New month of boxing, and there's going to be a lot of it coming up for the summer as things open up and people are able to go outside into the to sporting events. And boxing is in the forefront. There's going to be a plenty of cards, just not this weekend. Yeah, not as many. And again, the Mayweather Paul card will be the biggest one. There is a heavyweight fight, a non-title fight in England that we're interested in later on for gambling purposes for the guys at Sports Gambling Podcast and those that like to short-term invest. Marquise will have some advice on this. Let's go uh, chronologically here. We're going to go backwards and recap some of last weekend, talk a little news of the week, and then I promise Steve Farhood coming up with that interview. And then Marquise and I will kind of talk about the Showtime docuseries after you hear Steve talking about his role in being part of it and then we'll get into the predictions the prognostication of the fights this weekend all right so off of last week we saw history in the bantamweight 118 pound division the oldest world champion ever uh, as nonito donaire of the philippines captured the title in an upset and we were talking about this on the podcast last week that he was uh, considered here the underdog for this fight with Nordine Obale. Obale, a uh, a Moroccan French-born fighter, was unbeaten, largely untested, and man, did the 38-year-old Filipino flash, as he's known, Nordine, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, Nonito Donaire. Donaire hit him with heavy punches and scores the knockout, not without a little bit of controversy, but just give me a thought, Marquise, on the overall here of Donaire getting the win. Third time he's been world bantamweight champ, the oldest world bantamweight champ ever. Some perspective, please. Absolutely, TJ. And what a great fight that was Saturday night uh, over at the uh, Dignity Sports Health Complex. Memo to Showtime. Stop getting moral calling it the punch bowl. It's not going to catch on. <laughs> Much like Shaquille O'Neal being called the big Hoffa, that didn't work either. And if right, he's going to let it right. go, pass it along. But what a great, back to the fight, TJ. What a great fight by Donaire. And at age 38, at, at bantamweight, TJ, most often, TJ, with bantamweights, especially at that age, they're not at bantamweight one. And B, they're not fighting at that high of a level. Usually they're slower. And at usually, usually when you get that old and, and at smaller weights, you usually get caught up on and usually get hit a lot. And that happened. For Nordine Ubali, who had no idea what was happening. He looked timid the entire fight, TJ. Granted, the knockdowns didn't help him out either, but can we talk about what, what was Jackery supposedly doing during this fight? All right, yeah, we are going to get to that in a moment, and we should mention here that Donaire deserves a little more credit because he had fought last time at featherweight at 126, and he moved back down at the advanced age although I'm now a 51-year-old, I'm older than Marquise, I don't consider 38 to be an advanced age overall, but it is for boxing. He moved back down the eight pounds, easily made bantamweight and, and looked like a heavy punching fighter. I don't know how much he rehydrated uh, and, and bulked back up in the, in the 24 to, to 30 hours or so after the weigh-in, but man, he had some pop. He popped uh, Obali, the champion, the unbeaten champion in the third round and knocked him down legitimately. And then the controversy at the end of the third round, and I wrote about this on the website, stirred it up some. Uh, some of the trolls were out after me on social media. I didn't have oh, much use the for trolls. them. You love the trolls. All right, what's your read on whether or not the second knockdown, late third round, is there controversy? Am I manufacturing something that's not there? What say you, Marquise? No, TJ, it's a very legitimate cause of concern for what you wrote on Saturday night, only because what the, the second knockdown at the end of that round, it happened, you can hear the bell audibly hit sound, and then you see Ubali fall to the canvas. He gets up, he does the, he, he gets past Jack Reese's DUI checkpoints the first go-round, and then the <laughs> bell rings the second go-round, and then he's like, what happened? 
I don't know if it was the bell was hypnosis for him, like the Bugs Bunny <laughs> cartoons or not, but it was not a good look for him. And at that point, well, the first thing, if we interject, he had to beat the count because the rule always is the bell cannot save you. So Reese yeah. called it a knockdown and he had to beat the count. So he was up at about six and Reese finished the mandatory eight count at eight and then did, as you referred to it, the joking DUI checkpoint, walk to me, walk over here. And that's what I think confused Obali even more is he had him walk over towards Donaire's corner uh, and yeah. he's cuckoo as it is a little bit. And he's got him walking towards Donaire's corner. And then, uh, and then Jack Reese like, no, no, your corner's over here and pointing him over here. And, and uh, there was some chaos. There was some brief chaos yeah. for a few seconds back to it though. Again, we are in the age of replay, although clarify for me, I don't know that California is using the replay as much as Nevada is where they could have stopped things in that moment if they had the replay and said, was this punch after the bell and should Donair be penalized and should, more importantly, Obali get more than the 60 seconds to recover from the punch if it was after the bell? What do you make of all that? I think today uh, California does have the ability to – they use they use replay all the time, supposedly California, but it's just not as – as urgent, I'm using urgent in air quotes here when I mentioned Nevada using replay and urgent. But nonetheless, they have the <laughs> system in progress uh, for it to be used because they used it last time during this pandemic, TJ, when uh, Alexander Flores uh, supposedly took a dive against Luis Ortiz one fight that went 47 seconds. So Right, they, and that was they, in they, California. And by the way, the WBC has been kind of at the forefront as a world boxing organization of having it and utilizing it. So it occurs to me that maybe they could have. I just I thought the punch was late live. Uh, it clearly rocked o Obali. I guess some of the pushback is Obali was trying to throw a punch too, but that still doesn't justify that the punch isn't after the bell. And I thought, and Jack Reese, let's talk about him for a second. He's a very decorated yes, California referee that's worked a lot of championship fights. He worked the uh, Patrick Teixeira, Brian Castaño championship junior middleweight fight in California earlier this year. He worked the Ruiz Areola heavyweight main event in the same locale at the Dignity Health Sports Complex in Carson, California, uh, back at the beginning of, of May, May 1st. He also worked the Deontay Wilder uh, Tyson Fury first fight, first fight in Los Angeles at Staples Center. A very nearly counted Fury out at the end of the 12th round. That was Jack Reese as the referee. I deem him to be a competent referee. I just believe he was out of position on this knockdown. What is your analysis on how good he is and, and what happened there at the end of that third round of the Donaire knockdown? You know what, TJ? I think Jack Reese as a, as a, as a rep is pretty competent for the most part. I just think he has a history of giving folks the business for doing after knockdowns and also having a quick hook up uh, out of all the fights you mentioned that he's done. The one fight that you did mention was the one with Abel Ramos and Brian Perella, which he was the referee of and it was three seconds left and poor Brian Perella just couldn't stay upright and understand uh, Jack Reese's call in a fight that he probably could have won easily in Nashville before the pandemic all broke out. It's one of those things, TJ, where I really think it was a, a thing where, as you mentioned, where he had poor position on it. But I really think also when, we had to do something with these knockdowns where these referees are making these guys do all these, these DUI checkpoints and asking what the state capital of Vermont is. And these guys have been hit in the face. We, we need to do something a little more simpler than this. Montpelier, Vermont. I'm yeah. not sure. I'm checking. Sure. I'll, let's go with that. Montpelier. I think is Vermont. <laughs> yeah. We'll go yeah. with that here on yeah. the program. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Augusta, Maine. 
right? Uh, and Montpelier, yes. Vermont, and yeah. we'll, we'll check on the rest. Uh, yeah. But in any event, uh, you're right. You know, walk this way, kind of like run DMC, walk this way and come over here. And he's wanting to make sure the fighter's not concussed. And one other thing that I wrote, this shouldn't take away from Donaire overall winning. He had already yeah. knocked Obali down. He more than likely, even without that knockdown, was going to have a good chance to finish him well off. But he damaged another. him at the end of that third round with that punch. And Obali did not recover from that. It was within a minute of the next round of him trying to avoid Donaire that Donaire bombed him again with the left yeah. hand and laid him out. It just, it sped things along, I think, uh, even more and tainted it maybe i'm making too much out of it but there is a litany I, I linked to it there's a litany of recent uh debacles at the end of rounds with punches after the bell well after the bell and fighters getting disqualified because of it or rematches being ordered so to think that this is not something in world championship boxing that hasn't been contemplated even in recent times over the last two or three years it, it's had to be addressed over and over again with guys getting hit um, after the bell. I still remember the one that's on that YouTube video, and you, we love the historical perspective. Remember, Marlon Starling was the world welterweight champion from the United States. He beat Mark Breland, uh, whose name will probably come up later on in the podcast. Uh, he beat Mark Breland by KO and won the title. He later got knocked out by a Colombian fighter named Tomas Molineres. Molineris knocked him out with a punch after the bell. And it's in that video that I linked to in the Donaire story. It's on YouTube. You can look it up. It was a classic HBO fight. It was a Joe Cortez. The hall of fame referee was a referee and Cortez just missed it. He missed the instantaneous and, and Cortez was in position. The bell rang and Molinares hit him with a, with a hard right, a split second after the bell and laid Marlon Starling out face first. And Starling couldn't beat the count. Cortez counted him out. They got up. There's all the controversy. The punch was after the bell. The fight's over, blah, blah, blah. And Marlon Starling, even like a minute after the fight or three minutes after the fight, still did not realize he had been knocked out. He kept saying to Larry Merchant on ESPN and to others, what are you talking about? I was never knocked down. And they're going, Marlon, you were knocked down and you were counted out. He didn't remember. He got cold cocked that hard after the bell. Wow. And so they ordered a rematch. And I believe Starling won the rematch because of it. So again, I'm going on and on that. It's not an insignificant thing here. And the WBC might look at it. They might not. They don't care. At least to this point, Obali hasn't challenged that punch. I don't know that Donaire would fight him in a rematch or not. Donaire might want the monster in a way in a rematch later on if he can get it. Donaire's 38 years old, but there you go. There's there's some more on that. Yeah, and, and Don Donaire mentioned after the fight, TJ, he wants the monster again in that rematch in that fight. And I I don't know if that happens sooner or later, but it'd be intriguing if they can somehow finagle that to pull, pull out well the woodworks. Yeah, and that's a that's a world uh, title unification fight. They fought a great 12-round fight about a year and a half ago, and the monster uh, suffered a fractured eye orbital in the fight from the punches of Donair, fought on and still won the fight. Yeah. So, And he's going to be in action coming up in Las Vegas later on in the month. All right, so that's that world title win for Donair. Kudos to him. Simultaneous to that in Las Vegas, Devin Haney defended a version, uh, I say, of the WBC lightweight championship at 135 pounds a fight that he was winning convincingly over the veteran jorge lenares former world champ in a couple of divisions and then lenares hit him hard at the end of the 10th round and in the championship rounds 
Devin Haney had to hang in there, Marquise Johns, to survive and win what turned out to be a fairly narrow decision uh, at the end. All right, what are your thoughts on Haney Linares and Haney remaining undefeated as an up-and-comer? You know what, TJ? I thought Haney looked great for about the first nine and uh, nine tenths of the fight. It was just the last uh, championship rounds when he got caught by Lagarde when the bell rang, and he spent and he was in hug mode for the last three rounds of it. I'm actually intrigued, TJ, because the scorecards in that fight made this fight a lot closer than honestly on paper. I thought. Haney was pitching an absolute shutout. His jab was fast. He was faster than Lenars. He was able to catch up with him with the hand speed. Like, Lenars just looked, honestly, TJ, like a man who was old and out of it. And the 11th round's probably going to kick Lenars if he looks like this tape of sleep because it was one of those fights, TJ, where he had Haney pretty much on the ropes those final two rounds but could not put him away. And when, when he was clenching the entire time and he had no answer or response to it, that was pretty much it. I'm just more shocked that the cards were so close. Well, and, you know, give Linares credit because he had conditioning to last into the late rounds. And this is why we love boxing, you and me, uh, because it is different. There is, I've always said this, there is a four touchdown touchdown. There is an 18-point three-point shot in boxing. It's called one punch. You can be way behind late, and the one punch changes everything around. As long as there's time on the clock or a round left or a couple of rounds left, you can change it around. And Devin Haney may try to play off that he was hurt, but he had some spaghetti legs at the end of the 10th round uh, after yeah. getting rocked. He survived the 11th where it looked like he might be in trouble and maybe a younger Linares would have put him away, ifs and buts, and the older Linares could not do it. I give Haney credit. He was tested late in the fight. Could have been knocked down. Could have possibly been knocked out. He won. He won the decision. I think we learned some things about Devin Haney. Give me some more on what you saw out of him. Absolutely, TJ. I thought Haney looked real good where it was one of those things where the, the, we, people were complaining with Haney about not having that spectacular win or against a, a spectacular win against anybody of note. This win is a spectacular win of note against a former world, channel, a world title holder. And it was a good one because we learned how he's able to actually handle the adversity. We learned also, TJ, that apparently uh, he gets in the hug mode. We'll see if that uh, changes next go-around with his next opponent. But I, I, I really like what I saw with Haney, actually. I think it was actually really intriguing. He didn't it's, – it's one of those things, TJ, where he didn't – this time around leading up to the fight, he didn't say he was going to go knock this – he didn't. He wasn't going to knock Lenares out. He wasn't going to do this. He wasn't going to do that. He kept, it shut, he kept it quiet. He shut up about it, unlike the Gamboa fight, which nothing happened. And we were all bored for 12 rounds. So he's, he's figured that part of it out at least. So I'm looking forward to seeing what's happening for him next, whoever it may be. Granted, it's going to be the winner of this uh, – Jojo Diaz, Javier Fortuna fight, which is also a pretty good fun one as well, whoever comes out of that one. Yeah, that's coming up in the month of July, uh, allegedly there to fight Haney with, again, Diaz stepping in for Ryan Garcia in kind of a semifinal situation. Haney wins his fight. Now, uh, can Diaz pull the upset or will Fortuna get the win and Fortuna get the shot with Devin Haney? And again, let's go over this one more time. Uh -huh. Teofimo Lopez has the WBC version of the belt, despite them giving a WBC version of the belt to Devin Haney and calling him world champ. That's because Lopez beat the guy they designated as the franchise champ, Lomachenko. And, and and defeated him by decision. And so they're all going to end up, it looks like, fighting each other. Teofimo is fighting George Cambosis later on in the month. Maybe we get a Teofimo, Devin Haney down the road. Maybe, as you mentioned, it's going to be Fortuna or not. But uh, it, it's worth mentioning again that 
Lomachenko was the WBC champ, and they designated him franchise champ to let him have options to do whatever he wanted. Uh, you know, and then and then Lopez beat the guy. He beat the yeah. WBC's guy. So in any event, uh, again, credit to Devin Haney one more time here. Sometimes you learn something about yourself. You face adversity. He got wobbled. You mentioned grab, clutch, hug, do whatever, survive. He learns from that. Now we'll see what happens in his next fight, whomever that one uh, is against. Again, Marquise Johns hanging out with me. TJ Reeves with you. Steve Farhood of Showtime in a little bit here on the Big Fight Weekend podcast talking Mayweather and Logan Paul. That is the most significant, noteworthy fight of the weekend. It is an exhibition. I'm using Marquise's air quotes. There will not be official judges in Florida for this. There will be a referee. There can be a knockout. Steve Farhood and I will talk more about it in a bit. Marquise and I are on the backside of that interview talking more about that fight card down in Miami, about four hours from where Marquise and I host this podcast uh, down at the Miami Dolphins Hard Rock Stadium. So we'll talk about that a little bit later on. A couple of other news items before we roll too much further. Deontay Wilder talking midweek. Uh, doing an interview with PBC Premier Boxing Champions Ray Flores, their broadcaster, their play-by-play man. Wilder talked on many different subjects for about 35 or 40 minutes in a live uh, back-and-forth Q&A with Flores. Uh, Marquise, I wrote about it for the site. There was not a lot of new out of that interview. He continues to expouse the conspiracy theories about Tyson Fury beating him. He continues to make excuses about that. He did talk some about Malik Scott, his new trainer, who's a former sparring partner of his, who is a former victim of his as a first round knockout victim. Uh So Malik Scott is training him. All right. You've seen some of what Wilder had to say Uh, again, and not a lot of it was new. Uh, the, The former WBC heavyweight champ speaking out. And what do you have to say about that? Marquise Johns. Funny interview with him on the yesterday talking about Ray Flores. The one thing I thought Wilder said of note, honestly, TJ, because he kind of was just cracking jokes throughout the second half of that whole thing. But the one thing he mentioned that I thought was interesting for everyone who was thinking otherwise, Jay Diaz is still with the Wilder camp. A lot of folks were thinking that once Braylon was out, uh, Jay Diaz is going to go right behind him. Uh, not so fast, my friend. Uh, he is still there. Can so, I can but- I tell you that was never going to be the case? And I didn't know in that interview if I can just interject when when Ray Flores started saying, "Well, you've gotten rid of Jay Diaz." And I'm going, what planet are you on? JD's is the man that discovered Deontay Wilder in the first place and had him come into his gym as a 20-year-old trying to figure out what can I do for a living? Can I box? Taught him how to box, has let him use his gym, has managed his entire career. Uh, Yes, Mark Breland had been the primary trainer, but to think that he was going to disavow JD's out of this, uh uh-uh. I mean, I didn't know where that came from in the interview, but continue on with what you heard out of Deontay, please. Absolutely, TJ. And that's funny you mentioned that because the same face you just gave me about that question was the same face I that Deontay gave as well in the interview. And it's like, <laughs> are you serious? Like, what are you talking about? Like, he's in the background. Like, he's still here. But no, right. I thought that was interesting as well. Malik Scott was on the PBC version of the podcast with uh, Ken Buhari and the gang uh, on the PBC format talking about this as well. Pretty much, TJ, they're keeping format of what's going on on the PBC side of the side of the script here because essentially, TJ, that's the one advantage that these guys do have over Fury and, and that whole side of the camp is they've been quiet. They've been sh- they've been shut in, and the only thing they've been regurgitating so far, TJ, is what you mentioned: is these these Glovegate, you know, egg wake, uh, crazy conspiracy theories, and whatever whatever helps water sleep at night, that whatever. But it, but the but at the end of the day, TJ, this third fight's happening in July, and I'm really interested to see if anything is going to change in Waters' camp training wise for this, because the one thing I thought 
in that second fight that's always being that's being overlooked in all of this is Fury beat him fair and square. We all get that part. I don't care any of this this cheat nonsense. But the reason why he beat him fair and square and why Fowler was bust up was that Fury came in about what was it 40, 45, 50 pounds heavier than him. Dad has the change in this third fight for any of this other glove gate weird ring nonsense to take place anywhere whatsoever but i did think it was interesting that both wilder and scott are both towing the line with this by the way it's, it's really interesting well and the other thing deontay talked about and i wrote about this again we plug away for bigfightweekend.com he was talking about his health and by the time they get in the ring it will have been 17 months in between the two fights and he talked about being fully rested fully recovered he, uh, he sort of revealed to Flores that he had shoulder problems and essentially shoulder surgery, and they discovered some other things in terms of inflammation when they repaired the shoulder. Um, and he kind of revealed that he was not really physically ready to fight in July a year ago, coming out of the pandemic. They weren't ready, and they weren't really coming out of the pandemic. They weren't ready to have that fight at a location with fans in July. And so if you're a good detective, which you and I try to be, or at least yes. we watch a lot of Law & Order on TV. I don't know which it is. When you put it together, you, we heard he's had surgery. This is apparently what happened where they realized we can't have this in July. Go ahead and have your shoulder surgery and, and clean it up and, and help yourself. And then we'll have the fight in October. That was the goal. And so then they couldn't have the fight in October. You waited to August, September, and into October. They couldn't have the fight in October either. That's when the whole controversy came about, Marquise, with the contract, when does the contract expire? When can Fury walk away from the contract? But anyway, Wilder was saying in this interview that he is more rested up, more physically healthy. He's in a good mental state of mind. He started talking about deep meditation and doing that a lot. And with his, his close circle around him, his family around him, that he's healed up and in a good place. 35 years old and he's had previous broken hands a couple of times in fights he's had a previous bicep injury how concerned marquise are you with marquis with uh deontay wilder's health and is he damaged goods to an extent with all the injuries and the surgeries he's had before this third fury fight what do you think tj i think this may be the case of that where i think we're with terms of wilder with everything going on, and he is not a spring chicken with all this, I was thinking, honestly, TJ, if we was going to get this fight even more delayed, because I was hoping at some point he was supposed to be mentioned in the new Creed movies that are coming out sooner or later, and like everything <laughs> else, he, he'll be on the he'll be back, back doing that afterwards. I'm hoping, TJ, depending on the results of this third fight, we're all assuming that Fury's going to win here in advance, we'll go from there. But in the event that Wilder does win this third fight and upsets the apple cart all over again, and causes all this calamity. I wonder what will happen if we actually finally get, out of all this posturing and all this rhetoric we've gotten, the eventual winner of this Fury Wilder third fight faces Anthony Joshua finally for the undisputed all the bells, yada, yada. I, I wouldn't hold my breath on anything uh, involving Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. If Wilder wins, I fully expect Anthony Joshua, Eddie Hearn, and company to have sour grapes and not want to come anywhere near him. They avoided him for three-plus years. They'll try to avoid him for as long as they possibly can. Or five to six, yeah. Yeah, if they, if they possibly can. And at that point, hopefully the boxing media and everybody else comes to understand that when Wilder was saying in 2017, 2018, he's a coward, he's a chicken, he doesn't want to fight me, 
that he was right. He was right in 2017. He was right in 2018. He is still right even in the present day. Because obviously, if Wilder finds a way to win this fight with Fury, then there is no argument for Anthony Joshua about why you wouldn't fight Deontay Wilder. You were ready to fight Fury when he beat Wilder and call uh-huh. it undisputed. Now you're not going to fight Wilder for beating Fury and being the WBC champion again for what reason? Other than you're scared of that atom bomb right hand. And if Andy Ruiz hits you hard, you realize you can get hit harder than that. Uh, So we'll see. We'll see what happens uh, when that comes out of it. Um, Again, uh, we are uh, looking forward to what's going to happen with that. They have set the date for July 24th. Marquise, real quick, they have still not said whether it's Allegiant Stadium or not, officially the home of the Las Vegas Raiders. I am told... Uh, Our buddy T.C. Martin was talking about this, that I guess the backup is to have it at the T-Mobile Arena, potentially, um, in Las Vegas for July 24th inside. They can only have only, if they go full capacity, like 17,000, 16,000, 17,000, something like that in that arena. Allegiant Stadium would allegedly have like 35, 40, 50,000, maybe more, depending on how many tickets they sell. Don't know, but there's nothing confirmed that it will be the Raiders stadium yet, even though they keep talking about the date, July 24th, Vegas. A, a final thought on that before we scoot along here on this? Yeah, t- yeah, TJ, I'm really surprised that they haven't officially nailed down an actual location for this because at the end of the day, TJ, that's what this all comes down to is working to make the most money bringing in the gate. Now I think they have full capacity for fans back in because the second fight, give or take, whether you like the fight or not, uh, it set a, bu- a bunch of heavyweight records uh, go- for the second fight around. I don't think that interest is as high as it is this third time around, but the difference is, TJ, I think that if this fight wasn't happened at Allegiant Stadium, it would give the opportunity for more people to travel in from overseas who who weren't able to come around the second go round or who've been able to save up during this pandemic to finally get out of the UK, which is which is still hail, nail and hammer shut for most locations, TJ. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that all shapes out. But uh, outside of that, I don't know why they haven't done that. T-Mobile is also a small arena too, TJ. I'm actually surprised they didn't think about, about just having it actually at just the old-fashioned MGM Grand like it was last time. Yeah. What's the difference? Well, and maybe that will be the venue. It's not determined yet. We will find out uh, where they're going to have that fight. All right, much more to come. Marquis, stand by. Steve Farhood of Showtime will be here coming up straight ahead. He's got more on the Floyd Mayweather-Logan Paul exhibition. That is what it is. Sunday night pay-per-view uh, coming from uh, North Miami, Hard Rock Stadium, the home of the Miami Dolphins. Also on Sunday night, the debut episode of The Kings, the Showtime four-part documentary series on Sugar Ray Leonard, Thomas Hitman Hearns, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, Roberto Hands of Stone Duran. The debut episode is Sunday night as well. Steve Farhood is part of that series of documentaries as a boxing historian. Look forward to talking with him about all of those subjects. Marquise is back with me on the other side of that conversation as we roll on on the podcast. But first, we're brought to you by our friends at WinBet, bringing you the action of real sports betting with the Win Las Vegas experience. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, sports, and games. Generous promos, odds, and parlays are happening right now at WinBet. Get started today. You'll receive a special offer for up to $500 risk-free on a sports bet. Terms and conditions apply. Get the details at winbet.com. And download the app today. Again, that's W-Y-N-N-Bet.com. 
Hey, do you ever feel like you're always on and what do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? Every day it seems to be go, 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 and it's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Well, guess what? You can reach for a Coors Light because it is made to chill. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button and do so with Coors Light. Reminder that Coors Light is cold, lagered, cold filtered, cold packaged. It's literally made to chill and it's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Once again, Coors Light, the official beer, by the way, of the NHL and the Stanley Cup play Playoffs is Coors Light. And when you are thinking that it is time to cool off, to be refreshed Memorial Day weekend or throughout the summer, when you reach for a Coors Light, you know it's made to chill. So again, with whatever you're doing, however fast it's going, however hot it is, remember our friends at Coors Light. And we're brought to you by PropSwap, America's number one app to buy and sell sports bets. You can find the best odds on the NBA championship and the Stanley Cup futures when you buy directly from other bettors like yourself. If you see a ticket you like but think the price is too high, submit a bid for the price you think is fair and then buy it. PropSwap is making it easy to profit off these playoffs by trading in and out of teams in the postseason as everything progresses. Every ticket purchased on PropSwap can be resold at any time. Here's an example. Last week, PropSwap customer had a Montreal Canadian Stanley Cup future for $45 when the team was down 3-1 against Toronto. And the Maple Leafs, of course, blew the lead and lost in Game 7. And a few days later, the ticket flipped for $600. With PropSwap your bet doesn't have to win in order to make money. It just needs to improve. Think of it like the stock market, but for sports betting. Use our promo code SGP and your first deposit on PropSwap gets you up to $500 in bonus cash. Go to PropSwap.com, download the PropSwap app, and remember our promo code SGP. We're back on Big Fight Weekend now. Here's your host, TJ Reeves. We do continue along, and there is big interest coming in Mayweather Paul, the pay-per-view on Showtime known as Bragging Rights for this Sunday. And to help me go through some of it right now on the Big Fight Weekend podcast, I love welcoming back the Hall of Famer. Love this man's insight as the former editor of KO Magazine, the former editor of Ring Magazine, Boxing Hall of Famer, the unofficial judge on the uh, on the Showtime cards. You also see him on the Showbox series with Barry Tompkins that we're big fans of. I can't praise him enough. Steve Farhood is back with me on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. It's a shame that we don't have anything to talk about, Steve. Good to have you. Thank you. <laughs> Boxing has a way of providing something to talk about all the time. And there is, and there's no doubt we got plenty for this week. So I want to get to the Kings, the four part documentary that will debut this weekend. We've already been talking about it on the podcast. We've been writing about it on our website, uh, bigfightweekend.com. Can't say enough about it. So I'm saving that like for dessert. I'm saving that for now. So, so I'm I'm uh, I'm going to talk Mayweather Paul first, and then we'll get to the Kings, the documentaries, uh, plural about Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Thomas Hitman Hearns, and Marvin Hagler. Steve is part of that, by the way, too, from the historical perspective. Uh, we'll do that in a moment. So Floyd Mayweather about to be in the ring just north of Miami, Hard Rock Stadium, the home of the Miami Dolphins. Here we are in 2021, Steve Farhood. You hear the smile in my voice that Floyd is fighting a YouTuber, (laughs) Logan Paul, 
who is half his age or roughly half his age, uh, given up about six, seven inches, given up about 30 pounds, something like that. Steve, what do you make of this? And and, and uh, it's it's kind of interesting the disparity with all that I laid out fighting a younger, bigger, heavier guy in this exhibition Saturday night. Well, it's it's a it's a fascinating development, and I say that because a word we use in boxing a lot is transcendent. We're looking for transcendent transcendent stars, and there aren't very many of them. Now, back in the Four Kings day, there were plenty of them. But the fact of the matter is that Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao were really two of the only transcendental stars in recent boxing memory. Maybe, you know, Wilder and Joshua a little bit and Fury, maybe a few, a couple other fighters. But the fact that Floyd still commands an audience and, and, and an interest from the, the public is, is, is testimony to the fact that he does transcend boxing. And, and it's unusual for fighters to transcend boxing. They're usually not that big. Now, in the case of Logan Paul, that's a sign of the times because obviously he doesn't have a boxing background. He's fought one professional fight. He lost it. But you can make yourself a star today. You can make yourself transcendental by yourself. And basically he and his brother have done that. So the fact that there's an audience for this, it's, I, I would think, a younger audience than is the traditional boxing audience. Um, but the fact that there is an audience for this is very, very telling of the times we live on. Uh, you know, I was just thinking of something when you were saying that if it, if it sells, that's that's what everybody is all about. However, you sell it, whatever you have to do. I, I think of a uh, of a story uh, that somebody told me from many years ago about a wrestling promoter, and they had such concerns, Steve. You're going to laugh over where the seats were going to go around the ring, and how many of those seats would have pads on them, and which ones would have pads on the seat and on the back of the seat, and finally the the uh, the promoter. Looked looked at all of the people discussing this and said, what we need are butts in these seats. We don't need to worry about the rest. <laughs> right. We need butts. And so what you're saying and what the larger point is, this is eyeballs. This is butts in the seats. This is eyeballs. And ultimately, that's what's going to infuse yes. some of this for boxing, right? Well, yes. And, and really what you have to understand and the average fan, look, there are going to be boxing purists, and I'm certainly a boxing purist, who are, who are not necessarily thrilled with this and wouldn't necessarily find this an attractive entertainment package. But what you have to understand is that pay-per-view is a different kettle of fish than something that's on Showtime or any other network. Pay-per-view, you have to, you have to get people to spend money you know, outside of what they're normally spending for their television to, to, to buy something like this. And to do that, you need stars. You know, you, you, don't, you don't hear pay-per-view events with great boxers who, who aren't stars. It's just, and if they do have pay-per-view events, they, they are seen by very few people. In the case of Logan Paul, he has 20 million Instagram followers. That's, you know, boxers would kill for that kind of attention. Mm -hmm. Why he has that attention? That might escape me. Okay, being my age, but uh, he does have that attention. And Floyd, again, transcends boxing as well and has remained visible um, over all these years, even since he stopped boxing. So they, you measure an, attract, an attraction differently when it's pay-per-view than you do when it's on regular television. Love the insight of Steve Farhood of Showtime. He'll be part of the pay-per-view, the Bragg and Rights pay-per-view, Sunday night for Floyd Mayweather and Logan Paul. 
Again, it's an eight-round exhibition in the main event, and Steve is the unofficial scorer on the Showtime broadcast, and so he'll have his card going uh, for that fight. Coming up, you touched on one interesting aspect of this. Floyd is obviously uh, is up there a little bit in age, has not been in the ring in four years. The last time he was in the ring, he fought an MMA star in Conor McGregor in a boxing match. Uh, we all understand that father time eventually catches up with everybody. Is there some concern that father time could could be catching up to Floyd Mayweather, and he's not the Floyd that we saw even four years ago, much less seven, eight, nine years ago? How concerned are you, if at all, or do we all find out together Sunday night? Well, we certainly all find out together. I mean, it does come to a point, regardless of how great an athlete you are, where it's just not going to be there for you anymore. But there's a couple of things about Mayweather. First of all, I know Floyd well enough, and I think the public knows him well enough, to know that he would never be doing this if he were going to embarrass himself. That's just not Floyd Mayweather. You know, there have been fighters who've gotten in the ring. Jack Dempsey got in the ring in his 40s. Muhammad Ali got in the ring in his 40s. You know, it's happened. But Floyd's not going to embarrass himself. And let's not forget, he's fighting a guy who's not a boxer. He's just not a boxer. Now, Conor McGregor was not a boxer, but he was a champion. And he brought a champion spirit and a champion's heart to his match. And that's one of the reasons it was entertaining. Um, In this case, Logan Paul has a couple of advantages over Floyd, age and size specifically. And, uh, you know, he's a good athlete. But you you don't see, you know, what Logan Paul is going to find out is that even though Floyd's wearing 12-ounce gloves and is, is a much smaller guy, you don't take the hit of a defensive end in football if you've never played football. You don't challenge, you know, (laughs) Michael Jordan one-on-one or LeBron James one-on-one in basketball and expect to score a single basket. You just don't do it in those other sports. But for some reason in boxing, people think that they can get away with it and do it. I guess because it's such an elemental thing, boxing. We've all had fist fights. We've all clenched our fists. I think Logan Paul is going to have a rude awakening once once uh, he gets in the ring and the bell rings. I think that's an accurate, and we need to emphasize that point, it's an accurate point. His inexperience may be, may be the biggest telling thing over size, over, over reach, over 30-pound weight difference. Uh, the fact that Logan Paul's only fought one other boxing match against a fellow YouTuber, uh, I mean, there are just things tactically that you're not going to be equipped for or ready, and I, I think that's the great equalizer uh, for Mayweather when this comes down to it. Um, coming up on Sunday night in the Showtime pay-per-view. Again, Steve is gracious to give us a few minutes here on this. Uh, So I I now have to turn to the documentary that will air on Showtime, the first of the four-part docuseries, The Kings, featuring, again, uh, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, uh, Thomas Hitman Hearn, Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. I'm going to tee it up for you here. This had to be a professional thrill to be part of this, to be part of the documentary as as a historian and contributing to this. But that's me saying that. Tell us more on what it was like to be part of these documentaries that will debut with part one on Sunday, sir. Well, it was very special for me because I lived, you know, I covered those fights. Uh, not every one of them, but uh, a, a large number of them. And I was very young at the time and very impressionable. And But let's face it, boxing was bigger back then. Boxing was front-page news back then in the early 80s. Yep. And these fighters were very different from each other. Um, nobody would argue that they're not all-time greats. They, of course, are. And they provided, and they were willing to fight each other and got paid very well to do it, by the way. But regardless, they were willing to fight each other and gave us special moments. And and what I always say is that back then, boxing was on the front page of the paper, not the back page. And today, sometimes it's not even on the back page. So it's for for the younger generation, it's, it's, it's an education. 
to, to learn about these fighters and how great they were and how big these matches were. And that, that, that I think, is what separates that era from everything that's really come after it. But the early 80s, I was fortunate to just be really getting started and with KO Magazine and everything. And uh, that's, that, that, these are the guys that gave us you know, that very, very special time. Certainly one of the greatest eras in boxing history, if not uh, the I- best. And, and especially for non-heavyweights, that is the era. Exactly. Uh, and one Never thing been you, done before. Right? Yes, and, and one thing you emphasized that was so critical, they were all willing to fight each other. Duran and Leonard first, eventually Leonard and, and Hearns after, eventually Duran and Hagler, eventually Duran and, and uh, Hearns. I'm going to get it right, I think. Then eventually Hearns and Hagler, then eventually Leonard and Hagler. They were all willing to fight each other. But another key part of that is that's where the big money was, was to fight each other for those, right. those mega fights. So it was two-pronged, but the willingness to make those blockbuster fights, that seems to be lost in the present-day part of the sport, not just right now, but maybe over the last 10 or 15 years, that not everybody is willing to fight the best that they could possibly fight. Right, Steve? That's true, and, and I put the blame solely on the fighters. If you want to fight, look, Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao, did they fight? A little late for most people's tastes? Yes, maybe five years too late. Nonetheless, the fight eventually got made because the two of them took the bull by the horns and made the fight. So you can name whatever matchup you want today, whether it be Errol Spence or Terrence Crawford or whoever. I blame the fighters for the fights not happening. But, you know, ultimately, they're the ones that don't win out because look at the legacies of the of the four kings. Look, look at how we remember these fighters as all-time greats. You know, Ray Leonard, I mean, he lost some fights in his career. But we don't, we don't punish him for that. Ray Robinson's the greatest fighter in history. He lost a whole bunch of fights at the end. You know, Oscar De La Hoya is an all-time great. He fought everybody, and he, he lost occasionally, you know, more than once. So the willingness to fight the best available competition is critical for a fighter's legacy. And the Four Kings, you know, demonstrated that uh, better than anybody else. Yeah, no doubt. Okay, a couple of fun ones about making the documentary, because I know some in in working in broadcasting and in in television on how this works. So I would imagine they sat with you, they asked you a bunch of questions about a bunch of these different fights and situations, and it all probably happened at once. Maybe it was all in the same day or maybe over a couple of days. But then you have no idea what are they going to use, what are they not going to use. So then this becomes fun where the first episode runs and they're sticking you in at this important moment, giving your insight. What was that like for you? I'm assuming you've seen them all. I've certainly seen the first documentary. All right. So I've seen the first of the documentary series. And so when they stick Steve Farhood's comment in there, what's that like for you watching it? Because you weren't quite sure what they were going to use, right, in these documentaries. Very, very true. And, and what makes this a little different from most of the things, and uh, of course I've done these type of things many times over 43 years, what made this a little different is that we were just audio. There's no, there's no video of us. So that made it a little different also. We're just, we're just sound on, on the, going yep. along with the video of the fighters. But, you know, to be honest with you, we, we all, anybody that does this makes a joke. When, after you watch it, you go, hey, it was really good, but needed more Farhood. <laughs> you know, a <laughs> little, little bit less of this guy, a little bit less of that guy, needed more Farhood. You gotta, especially especially get thing. that in with uh, with Al, with Al Bernstein, because he's in it over and over again, and he broadcasted many of these fights. But, you know, if you could get in a of couple of extra comments besides what Al had uh, on that. But we can't stress enough to the audience, they need to see this in the four-part form 
because I've, I've only seen the first one, but I'm ready to watch the second one because it's storytelling. It's storytelling from the beginning of how the rivalries began to come together and Duran and Leonard fought each other first. And I don't think I'm revealing a nuclear secret here. The outcome of Duran upsetting Leonard and handing Leonard his first pro loss, that cliff hangs the end of the first documentary. And it is perfect. Yeah. I'm paying all compliments, Steve. It is perfect to get you ready for the second episode, that that's how things stop in episode number one. And it sets everything into motion with the rematch, with Leonard then fighting Hearns, and eventually all these guys fighting each other, right? Yes, and, and also what separates this documentary series from others is that the filmmakers made a significant effort to enter the world's politics and what was going on in the world in the 80s, in interjecting that into the documentary. And a lot of times it works. You know, it was the era of Ronald Reagan, and you had the whole Panama Canal thing, which of course was closely related to Duran and his feelings about America. So interjecting the history mm. of the day into this documentary is a different way to do it, and it works. And the other thing they did, which I give them credit for, and I guess they had deep pockets, the filmmakers got actual footage from these fights. That is not cheap to do, let me, let me promise you. You want to get footage of these fights from these, the promoters that control the rights, it costs a lot of money. And there's footage, you, you couldn't make a good documentary about these guys unless you had the footage, and they used the footage. So I give them a lot of credit for, for having the deep pockets to do that. No doubt about it. Steve Farhood with us for a few more moments. The Hall of Famer again. He is part of Showtime's boxing coverage as the unofficial scorer. He's also the analyst on the Showbox series with Barry Tompkins, Raul Marquez, and everybody on Showtime. Love his insight. I'm going to make you smile. I always love to make you smile when I talk to you. I was as big a Sugar Ray Leonard fan. I'm a young TJ, 10 years old. I'm dating myself now when he fought Roberto Duran. <laughs> and I was crushed. Yeah. Steve, I was crushed when Duran beat him. When I was reading my KO magazine, no BS, my Ring magazine, my KO magazine, I was crushed reading about <laughs> Roberto Duran beating Sugar Ray Leonard. So, again, this... This is just uh, fantastic to reminisce about this stuff, but I had to make you smile that a young TJ you did. Was, you did. Was, was reading this and engulfed in this, and I love reliving it now in the documentary. And say it again for the audience that we can't emphasize enough. Find Showtime, subscribe on Showtime, uh, find it on an app, uh, get the documentaries. The debut is this Sunday. It's running in four parts for the next four Sundays starting this weekend, right? They need to see this. Uh, with how great these fighters were and the fact that they all fought each other and really ruled the sport as non-heavyweights in the 1980s, right, Steve? You're, you're right. And you know that reaction you had as a 10-year-old boy watching that first fight, that's exactly the depth of that reaction is exactly why these guys were so special because so many people have so such distinctive memories about them, whether you're 10, whether you were 20, whether you were 30, whatever it is. But for the younger, for the younger people today who are in their 20s and 30s who don't remember these fights, it, it's, sometimes it's hard for us you know, because we lived it, to realize not everybody knows about Mike Tyson, who is the subject of the documentary right now on ABC. Not everybody knows about Ray Leonard and the great story about Roberta Duran. And this, this young generation, you know, is learning uh, from these documentaries. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a great thing because these stories are, are priceless. 
And I should mention again, as I always do, as being as big a Sugar Ray Leonard fan as I was, the only night that he lost to the other three kings was the night he lost to Durant. After that, he never lost again. Now, you can make the argument, and I think it's fair, that Hearns beat him in the second fight and didn't get the decision, but it goes down forever as a draw. If Steve Farhood was scoring, he would have scored it for Hearns. We know this. This we know. But it, it goes officially well, we know as Ray a Leonard draw. scored it. Ray Leonard scored it for Hearns. He's repeatedly said over the years, and maybe he's yep. just being magnanimous, but he's repeatedly said that you know Tommy should have gotten a decision. Yeah, but uh, that but that first Duran Leonard fight was was an amazing night in Montreal and a rainy night in Montreal, and and the the one fight just very quickly the one fight I would compare it to in a lot of ways is the Ali Frazier first fight, and the reason I say that is because the loser, Ali in his case and Leonard in his case gained more acceptance and love from the public who might not have respected him before the fight by losing, by taking a beating and fighting the other guy's fight and almost coming out on top, than he would have if he had won. And I think that was the case with Leonard. He was no pretty boy. He was no, you know, he, he, he was a legitimate fighter with, with as much heart as any of the four kings. Love the insight. Love this documentary series. Steve Farhood will be watching you on Showtime. We'll be listening because, again, the clips that you see in the documentary is the audio of these great voices, historians of which Steve Farhood is one, along with Al Bernstein and many of the others uh, that are part of that documentary uh, series that's on Showtime called The Kings. Episode one debuts Sunday night at the time that we're taping this podcast. And then for three more Sunday nights after they reveal the next episodes, you got to see it. You got to see it and see what happens uh, from uh, every angle of, of the Kings as they uh, all intertwine and fought each other. Steve, thank you. I appreciate you making time for us on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. We'll be watching and taking in everything on Showtime, the pay-per-view with Mayweather Paul, all the fight cards this summer. We thank you for hanging out with us once again, my friend. Thank you for having me on, and now I'm all pumped up to watch the documentary again. <laughs> Indeed, love the insight of Steve Farhood and all the Showtime guys and guests, and we thank uh, Showtime for making him available to us. And it is interesting, as I call back in, senior writer, BigFightWeekend.com, Marquise Johns, back with me once more uh, here on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. He will be the unofficial judge, Steve Farhood. We have now learned from the Florida uh, Boxing Commission they are not officially sanctioning this fight. Part of the reason is fight, in air quotes again, to use your air quotes, uh, because of the weight disparity at the smaller weight classes and the fact that Logan Paul is some 30 pounds plus heavier than Floyd Mayweather. The, the Florida Boxing Commission, the Florida Department of Business and Regulation says – that can't be a sanctioned boxing match. It's too dangerous. It is an exhibition, therefore. There will not be official judges. There will not be an official decision uh, rendered. But it's interesting that Steve Farhood will be unofficially scoring the eight-round fight with Mayweather and Paul. Um, all right, you and I will get into that fight in a few moments. I want to let you piggyback off of what he was just talking about, the debut of the Kings, the four-part series Showtime Premium Cable will be up first on Sunday night before the pay-per-view. Full disclosure, you and I have both previewed that opening episode as I was talking about with Steve Farhood. Phenomenal is the word I will use. What do you have to say now as the as the rest of the public, the, the folks, get a chance to see it on Showtime, the debut of the four-part documentary coming Sunday? Simple, TJ. Watch it. No, it's, it's absolutely incredible, this Four Kings documentary. I think I told you uh, in, in just last week on the podcast that I kind of 
fell into a rabbit hole and binged the entire thing because it was that good. And it starts out because, TJ, it does something with it. Uh, just, just give you a perspective on my end because I'm in the age bracket where I grew up as a kid during all of this stuff. So I was right. like, I, as a kid growing up, I, I didn't see, I, I wasn't there in the heyday for all of this stuff. So this was, this put in perspective to me uh, as well, because they, they put they put it in a, in a cool bowl of what was the landscape of the United States at the time with the whole Reaganomics and everything in the eighties. And now the, the crack epidemic, they, 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 they kind of shoehorn, I got to admit to you, they kind of shoehorn a lot of bad eighties things that happened in, in, in the documentary, but a lot of good happened in the ring between the four Kings. Oh, there's no doubt. And on the first episode that you will see Sunday night, it brings together Duran and Leonard, which started everything off. That was the first fight of all of the fights, including Thomas Hearns, Marvin Hagler, into the mix of everybody fighting everybody. And as I relayed to Steve Farhood, and I'm saying it to you here, 10-year-old TJ idolized and loved Sugar Ray Leonard. A lot of kids, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not several million young kids and young people love Sugar Ray Leonard at this time. I was devastated i keep using the word crushed that duran beat him in montreal in the first episode uh and it, and it builds right up and then cliff hangs on duran beating leonard to close out the first episode again we're not revealing nuclear secrets here on the big no. fight weekend podcast if you know the boxing history you know how it goes but that set everything into motion that duran beat leonard and leonard wanted the immediate rematch etc so that's how everything builds in the first episode of the Kings. And I, I love how they weaved in the storytelling uh, and the old time footage of, of Ray Leonard in the Olympics of Duran uh, fighting some of his fights as a lightweight champion. And they, and they're building to that big moment. And it was tough. It was tough for me to sit there and watch that. Cause I knew sugar Ray Leonard's going to lose that fight with Roberto Duran at the end of episode <laughs> one. Yeah, TJ. No, the result still the result of the fight is still the same. But I love the one thing about this this documentary that I think that they did really well is the tone of it. The the narration of this this documentary, TJ, done by you know old gravelly voice, oh, Teddy Atlas. You know when you got that sound like this here, when you got this for the whole documentary <laughs> thing, it just sets the tone of the whole fight of the whole fight atmosphere of it. It's I I just had a blast with it. And that fight, TJ, as it's rich is written for us on BigFightWeekend.com. The fact that where Duran Duran Leonard won. Still is one of those remarkable things where Duran was fighting the fight of his life and beating Leonard, and you, you can you can see the hatred that he that Leonard had in it and just wanting to get his belts back into that revenge and for the second go around this episode as well. Well, we were talking earlier on the show about Devin Haney and finding out some things about Devin Haney. So at this point in time, for Sugar Ray Leonard, he had never really been tested by a big time world class fighter and been rocked, and he stood toe to toe with the hands of stone and fought 15 rounds, close quarters, big punches being thrown. And a lot of people thought foolish strategy and Leonard even admitted, I, I got caught up in trying to be out toughing him uh, out, out fighting him, out brawling him. And Duran beat Leonard that night because Leonard tactically wanted to beat Duran at his own game and it didn't work. And it, it's just tremendous how they build. Again, we cannot recommend the documentary kicking off enough, the one hour documentary, how they're building everything to Duran Leonard one. That's going to set into motion the no Moss rematch. It's going to set into motion, obviously Leonard and the super fight uh, eventually with Marvin Hagler, but the great fight with Thomas Hearns, the epic world welterweight title fight came right afterwards. Eventually Duran's in there with Hagler Duran's in there with Thomas Hearns, mm -hmm. eventually Hearns and Hagler epic, eventually Leonard and Hagler controversial epic. 
All of that is coming uh, on the Kings. One more time, plug for that because we have seen it. For the public that has not seen it, plug away one more time as the first of the four episodes is Sunday night. Absolutely, TJ. First of the four episodes uh, airing, airing Sundays on Showtime at 9 p.m. Eastern. Highly recommend it. Set your DVR. Set whatever you need to record this thing and because once it's there, it's there. And I highly recommend watching this one because it, it really is a good one. And it, it retells a story that, TJ, we all already know, but, but the way they do it is so well done. It's great. And as Steve Farhood said, you've got to appreciate it. And you admitted you're a little younger. I'm a little older than you. Boxing was a humongous deal uh, back in this time frame. It was the front page of a newspaper, these results of the fight, not just the front page of the sports section. It was on the cover of Sports Illustrated when Duran beat Leonard. It was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, no mas after that. Mm -hmm. Uh, On and on down the list for these great fights, it was the biggest of big deals for non-heavyweights in this time frame, and we can't emphasize that enough that coming off of Muhammad Ali as the opening episode of the Kings debuts, they were looking for who's going to be next as a superstar to help uh, in the heavyweight division. Well, it turned out it was four guys together fighting each other that kind of carried boxing from the late seventies, even into the late eighties as the, as the Kings. And that's what the documentary shows. So again, we plug away on the big fight weekend podcast. All right. Few minutes left. Uh, he talked about the exhibition of of Mayweather and uh, and Paul. Uh, all right, let's get right into it. Again, there will be no judges for this fight. I explained that a couple of minutes ago about why the referee can stop the fight if there is a knockdown. There can be a knockout between Mayweather and Paul. Uh, Marquise, you've got the gambling odds as well in front of you, and there's all kinds of qualifiers and specifiers about the gambling odds. I've seen that everywhere because, again, if the fight goes the distance, it's kind of ambiguous depending on where you're betting about whether or not one fighter or another wins a decision because there's not an official decision from actual judges. So go over the odds real quick here, and what do you think about Mayweather and Paul? Yeah, TJ, this exhibition shenanigans between Logan Paul and Floyd Mayweather. Of course, uh, Mayweather is a a 9-to-1 favorite to win this. And honestly, TJ, if you have any gambling money or short-term investment on this Mayweather-Logan Paul uh, fight that's taking place Sunday night, I need to remind you, as TJ's mentioned repeatedly, it's an exhibition. Secondly, the number is one eight hundred admitted. And thirdly, <laughs> for gambling anonymous. <laughs> and, and thirdly, guys, it's a it's it's this fight. At the end of the day, if if you're if you are strangely have the inclination to you know wager on a flyer, there's only one way to wager on this fight, TJ. It's Logan Paul, and if he knocks him out, that's just the way it is. And you're thinking that he 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 has to hit Floyd first is the problem. And right. and an exhibition or not. And let's uh, be honest, Logan Paul has fought one fight. And he's in there with a fighter that's had 50 professional fights. I don't care if Floyd Mayweather's 44 years old or not. Yeah. He's had 50 pro fights. The other guys had one boxing match, which to your point against a fellow YouTuber, KSI is the guy's name over in Britain. He couldn't hit yeah. him a year and a half yeah. ago. He struggled to consistently hit that guy. That's the real question and concern here is he, this could turn into a dull thing where Floyd dances, boxes, uses the jab. And even though he's got more height than reach, Logan Paul can't hit him, right? Yeah, TJ, this, 
Yeah, TJ, but the, the tagline even showed them for their pay-per-view promoting this fight, mind you, TJ, for $49.95, uh, you know, in-demand pay-per-view, whatever have you. The tagline, TJ, is uh, Hall of Fame boxer Floyd Mayweather at 50-0 facing YouTube sensation and 0-1 fighter Logan Paul. That's all you need to know about this fight, where it's like, this is a, <laughs> this, this is all, this is already predetermined, as they so say So you don't wrestling. want a taste of Logan Paul at plus 550 on the money line here as the underdog at all. Is your hunch... That, uh, that Floyd's going to dance around. Floyd never has been the biggest of punchers late in his career. He did wear down uh, Conor McGregor four years ago in their fight. This is only an eight-round fight, though. Is it your belief this goes the full route here and we don't get a knockout? What's your prediction? I, I think TJ Mayweather carries this guy for about seven or eight rounds and bores us all to sleep. I don't think this is going to be one of those things that's going to be really interesting. I, I, only because, only TJ, I don't think Mayweather's going to be the guy that's going to go for the kill in this because it's an exhibition and there's nothing. He, he Mayweather gains nothing knocking out Logan Paul. He, he doesn't lose anything keeping Logan Paul upright either. So it's kind of one of those things where he's just there to make sure this fight happens. <laughs> that's why that's why that's why it happens and it ends up on sunday night and then fly back home to back to vegas on monday that's really what right. this is in miami okay so that is the showtime pay-per-view card again the probably the most intriguing fight on the card is the Jarrett Hurd return to the ring against luis arias he's heavily favored in that what do you have for the odds Jarrett Hurd, f- former junior middleweight world title holder at 154 pounds he's expected to dispose of arias and what are the odds there on that yeah. what are you looking at yeah, TJ, uh, Hurd's a huge favorite. Is I think he's favored. I want to say negative nine hundred. I think it's last. I think it's. I think what I see here is ma- minus twelve hundred. It's even gone up to that. So it's heading so to the it's, weekend to uh, to Savage Arius here, and that is a non-title tw- uh, ten-round fight. And Jared Hurd has made no bones that he wants Jermel Charlo, uh, who who owns currently three of the belts and is going for the undisputed championship later in July. So Jared Hurd looking to be impressive here. Arius, uh, a veteran, but not much, uh, you know, not much consideration being given for him uh, in this fight. I know we were looking forward to the light heavyweight showdown between Badu Jack and John Pascal, but Pascal tested positive for about every drug imaginable, and he is now off the fight card and not going to fight Badu Jack, correct? Yeah, needless to say, TJ, the only fight I really had interest of was that one for that rematch that took place back in Atlanta in 2019 with Badu Jack and John Pascal, but unfortunately... Pasquale decided to say yes to drugs and took all of them and <laughs> and we'll see how long he's out because he's had that, we that, put that it in a tweet on big fight weekend that he hit for the cycle on the pre-fight PD, <laughs> PED test he hit them all uh so uh, Pascal who's previously condemned other fighters for not wanting to take drug tests how ironic and appropriate that he oh, flunks man. a drug test for everything uh before oh. this so even though Badu Jack is still on the card, it's a lesser opponent. It's a find somebody opponent for him on the undercard. And we have even the former NFL wide receiver, Chad Ochocinco, Chad Johnson uh, on the card fighting a four round exhibition as well. So it's a hodgepodge here for the Showtime yeah. pay-per-view. Clearly the bulk of it, they hope is Logan Paul drawing in the audience uh, for the fight, the non-traditional audience for the fight, air quotes again with Floyd Mayweather, right? Yeah, the main draw of this whole thing, TJ, of this 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 sideshow circus is that the, the main event of Floyd Mayweather taking on Logan Paul. The, the you, you can see beforehand, you know, the, the bearded lady or Chad Ocho Single Johnson fight beforehand, or uh, Badu Jack take on a a, a Derwin Covit Karina TJ, a a late replacement, well known for during this pandemic, TJ, for having a W over the greatness of yeah 
no one knows who that guy is. That's that's the problem with Derwin Kohina. But he's taking it on a week's notice against Badu Jack. He's done this before. It's, it's kind of funny with Badu Jack, TJ. He's had some of the worst luck when it comes to some of these fights, whether it be split decisions or cuts or fighters taking drugs. He he just can't get a fair shake, and it, it's, it's, it's rough for him on this. But I will admit, TJ, the one fight on this card, and it's on the undercard, it's a couple of processes that they have going up. Uh, Vidal Riley is on the undercard of this uh, Mayweather pay-per-view. And that's that's a name to keep an eye out for because it's one of their prospects out of their promotional camp. Outside of that, TJ, there's really not much on this card per se outside of just right. watching Logan Paul and Mayweather. <laughs> All right, Logan Paul and Mayweather Sunday night. Again, originally they put it on Sunday night because the Teofimo Lopez defense with George Cambosis, which is also in Miami, was supposed to be Saturday night the 5th, and they moved it off. They understood that the Mayweather-Paul fight would engulf uh, things, so they moved it off of the 5th and now moved it to the 19th, pushed it back two more weeks, uh, which is also a full slate of fights coming there. Before we get out of here, there's also a uh, a Frank Warren Queensbury promotion show. Daniel Dubois, former unbeaten heavyweight. He lost to Joe Joyce, a fellow unbeaten heavyweight, a veteran, an older fighter who, who fractured his eye orbital. Remember, Billy Joe Saunders had the fractured eye orbital. Unlike Saunders, though, Dubois didn't give up as soon as the eye got cracked. He fought on with a swollen eye, swollen shut, maybe to his own detriment. All right, so this is Dubois' first fight back since Joyce stopped him. The uh, the opponent, Bogdan Dinu. How, how much of a threat is this guy at all? Uh, Dubois heavily favored, right, with the odds. This is a Friday night fight in London with heavyweights, right? Yeah, TJ, this is a, a Frank Warren special here, and I say that uh, uh, tongue-in-cheekly here as uh, Dunu is a ten to, almost a 10-to-1 underdog in this fight. And Dunu, honestly, TJ, that don't don't even bother. He, he poses no threat whatsoever. He couldn't get past Kubat Pulev, TJ. In fact, the last fight that he was known for was that fight against Kubat Pulev, and the only thing that we all know about that fight more than anything else was Kubat Pulev sexually harassing Jenny Sushi more than anything else after the fight. After what the took fight, place. the reporter. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, after the fight, and actually what took place in it. So that's the the, the, the threat with this. Uh, that that Queensberry card, TJ, for, for all his purposes, if anyone from Frank Warren's camp is listening to this podcast, do better. This card sucks. And please do better. Uh, it, it's one of those fights, TJ, to see. We're all seeing on this fight, TJ, to see how Dubois looks with, with the eye. See, see he, can, he can still see yep. out of it. If he can see out of it, he's going to punch out Danu in free lounge. Well, the, cons- the concern is, and I don't know, I don't know if I don't mean to interrupt, but if Danu yeah. cannot hit him and hurt him, the concern is at a later date is does it get refractured, et cetera. We've seen other fighters go through that. Yeah. Uh, Kel Brook is another one from Britain mm-hmm. that suffered this problem of having re-injure, you know, another fractured eye orbital, et cetera, after Errol Spence uh, cracked him in the in the eye a few years ago in a world title fight. That's the concern. Uh, for Dubois, and it will be a concern when he steps up in competition. But again, that's Friday afternoon U.S. time, Friday night in the U.K., uh, Queensbury Promotions fight there, Daniel Dubois uh, in action. All right, uh, we've come to the end here. Plug away. We've given a, the, the peeps a lot here on the podcast. Plug away about the site and everything going on this weekend, Marquise. Absolutely, TJ. BigFightWeekend.com, your source for all boxing news, past, present, and future. We'll keep an eye out on the uh, beatdown that Dubois gives to uh, uh, Brogdon Dunu. Hopefully, it'll be quick. I need it to be quick because I think that's going to happen for one year or the other. <laughs> Any, uh, also, anything of note on that Queensberry card because it's the one real fight card this weekend. I also want to mention, TJ, as well, our boy, uh, Kevin Johnson's in action this week against my other boy, Agent Cable, uh, over in Germany. So, uh, he's still getting worked. He's still getting worked. 
He's still getting work, and we'll see how this looks out for uh, Caballel undefeated, still in the WBC rankings. Caballel mm-hmm. uh, got a little bit of a punch, big guy. They fight in Germany on Saturday night, Saturday afternoon, U.S. time. You'll yeah. be paying attention to all these guys. I know. Oh you yeah, pay attention, pay attention to all that hijinks. It's, it's a stay busy for for uh, for agent, and hopefully he'll he'll keep his name in the runnings because he was mentioned at one point to face Tyson Fury once everyone else was. So we'll see how this all shakes out. <laughs> All right. Very good. Uh, thank you, Marquise. Again, follow him as always at Weak Sauce Radio, and uh, we appreciate you hanging out here. We'll see what happens with Mayweather. Paul could be a dull one, maybe some interest. Why do I have the feeling that it may devolve into some like WWE hijinks before it's over with, with his brother, Jake Paul, who's already signed on and Jake Paul created all the, all the mess at the press conferences. Who knows? We'll find out. But Marquise, thanks. We'll see what happens. I appreciate it. Absolutely, TJ. Hopefully, uh, when Jake Paul enters the ring after this exhibition, well, he'll have a steel chair. That's all I'm asking for. <laughs> the third man in. Thanks also to Steve Farhood of, Show- of Showtime, the Hall of Famer, their unofficial judge, uh, and a great boxing historian and contributor. Again, the docu-series The Kings debuts on Showtime proper on uh, Sunday night. The four-part documentary begins on Sunday night. The pay-per-view will be going on in part on Sunday night. The Mayweather-Paul main event somewhere around 10.30, 11 Eastern time. Plan accordingly after the debut of the documentary on Showtime. There you go. We'll be writing about all of this. Preview mode, recap mode, historical perspective, all of it on BigFightWeekend.com. For now, we are done. Subscribe to the podcast, Big Fight Weekend Podcast. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Thank you to our friends at the Sports Gambling Podcast, sportsgamblingpodcast.com for helping promote us. Uh, For now, we're done. Read the website, bigfightweekend.com. For Marquise, I am merely TJ. Put up your dukes and enjoy the fights. And you've been listening to the Big Fight Weekend Podcast. Bye.